Working Interferences is intended for mature audiences. Since the hosts never grew up, someone needs to be the adult. Welcome to Working Interferences with Josh and Lance, the dental advice podcast for the average dentist. Here is Josh and Lance. Raz, what is up? Welcome to the Working Interferences Podcast, a dental advice show. I'm Josh Walston. And I am Lance Timmerman. We have a special guest today, Lance. We sure do. We have our good friend, Dr. Mike Detola. Welcome, well, Mike. What up, boys? I'm excited for this one. This is like nothing we've ever seen before in the podcast world, dental podcast world. This is it's something true. I've been it's wanting true. to do for five years. This oh. is something back to accidental geniuses. I've been wanting to do this. I've been obsessed with the movie, The Dentist. And the the website, theringer.com, has a podcast series called The Rewatchables, where they uh, like really go deep down and break down um, <laughs> ostensibly good movies and uh, <laughs> really deep discussions about them. And I wanted to do a Rewatchables about the dentist. And then I realized something, Lance and Mike. Yeah? I realized that this is a horrible movie. <laughs> so we're not calling well, what, this a When did you figure that out? Yeah, when about 14 that seconds in. Okay, yeah. all right. The uh, the terrible computer graphics and the opening sequences and the terrible electronic music. Yeah. Um. So we're calling this an unwatchable uh, because this movie is unwatchable, but it's unwatchable in the best possible way. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> well, it it only it only makes sense in the context of a COVID nineteen shutdown. God yes. forbid. God forbid you spend ninety minutes of your time when you have options. Uh, but when but when you're stuck around your spouse and your kids, uh-huh. they, they go into the spare bedroom. Uh-huh. This, in fact, Josh, I, I would suggest pause the po- if you really want to experience this and have the best experience. Pause it now. Go to the Apple iTunes Store. Go to Vudu. Um, seriously, invest in this movie. I think it's five ninety nine, or I think you said it's free. It's know, free on voodoo.com. You can watch it with like a couple of advertisements in the middle. It's not bad. It's not intrusive. It's it's like Mike said, it's 90 minutes. It's a very small investment. Yeah. So if you don't mind, uh, I, the, the, and the advertisements too, there was one for uh, the Koi Center. Uh, there was one for, <laughs> it's really, really interesting what they've snuck in. Google really did its work, Colgate commercial. But watch it and it's um, it's certainly unforgettable. But it is, you know, I'll ask you, Lance, there's this concept of movies that are or this concept of anything, any kind of art that's so bad that it's good. Do you think this is that? I, I, apparently, by definition, sure. Uh, I, I'm still not quite there. I've only done the one watch. Apparently, I'm going to be doing a couple more. So maybe maybe I'll get there. I, I think Josh, you said that the more you watch, that the more you actually. I'm in love are. with this movie. I'm in love with this movie. It's, yeah, I'm not it's, there yet. So the here's the deal. This this movie, The Dentist, is dentistry's Top Gun, and that's a pro. I mean, it's a problem yeah. for dentists because yeah. like we need better media. Yeah. And the idea of like a dentist to like to have a movie about like the 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 emotional journey of a dentist throughout all these problems in their life like that actually would be a good movie if done well this is put that just like with a, a slasher <laughs> tilt yeah which is is which is just again so bad that it's good um, but it's all we have you know and in a time uh-huh. like this you have to make do with what you have and this is what we have um, and it is it's it's one of those things that's like I'm trying to think of a song that's so bad that it's good uh, like the Macarena right. Mike, you were you were probably you remember those days? I don't know what ninety eight somewhere in there. 
yeah, so I, terrible that like the Macarena comes out. It's like you just can't turn it off. I think the Macarena is like this movie where you have so, so you have so bad that it's good at 180 degrees, but then there's things that go beyond that where it's just so bad that it's bad, still bad or doubly yeah. bad. So the Macarena might be that. I I might say that so bad that it's good would be like a afternoon delight. Oh, if I you do, remember yeah, the, yeah, that sure, skyrockets yeah. in flight. That that song is is so bad that it's I don't know. But then again, I heard it like in my parents' station wagon. Uh, Growing up, this is the best and worst dental movie ever, dentist movie ever made, all um, all rolled into one for your viewing enjoyment. But you can only see it once for the first time, and I'm kind of jealous for the listeners who are about to go embark on this, you know, because you can't, you can't. It's that first time you see it where it's it's just the, the next snappy that goes on. Something it's so like heroin. It's heroin. The first is the best. The first, you're chasing the Allegedly. dragon after that. Mike texted me and he told me, dear God, this is going to take me six hours to get through because every 10 seconds I have to pause it and write down four paragraphs of notes. And that's uh-huh. I mean, it, it, they, it is coming fast and hard at you as a uh-huh. dentist watching this movie that yeah. it is almost overwhelming. And I've, I've watched it now four times in the last two days. And the last time I watched it, I picked up something that I had not picked up in any of the other three viewings. So it really is, guys, the gift that keeps on giving. Well, please point that out. When you get to the thing that... Okay, thank you. I can't <laughs> wait to hear what this is. I will. Um, so yeah, go watch the movie. The movie is 90 minutes. How? What's the over-under on proportionality of how long we will spend talking about this movie versus how long the movie actually is. Cause I can almost guarantee you that we'll be talking about this for more than 90 minutes. Yeah. I, <laughs> we thought my, my magnum opus of, of songs was long. Yeah. This is, this is more than I have a hard out as they would say in the business okay. at 6 PM central right now it's two twenty three. <laughs> so we have, we have about three hours that, that okay. that's the max we can put in it. But, uh, I do have a hard out for a previous commitment. I do love it when they say that in the biz, Mike, uh, that they have a hard out. There's a couple of hard outs in this movie where you, <laughs> uh, yeah, you feel like, uh, <laughs> can I, can I go on? But, um, there is so much to, um, to talk about, about it. But again, it, it really will mean more, um, when you, when you see it yourself as, as a dentist, don't have anybody else, uh, with you, uh, you may want to watch it with your dental assistants. That could be fun. I know they're not around right now, but I a think a couple of fun. great scenes for that. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, one thing that I didn't write down is um, just a lot of stereotypes in there. Like that front office woman is just like so front off, so front officey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just one good example. But uh, uh, Josh, I know in in your hours of work that you've done on this, you've had the chance to like uh, do some uh, research and look at IMDb. So hit us with some uh, hit us with some facts about this movie. So I was telling I was telling the boys before we started, I've put more work into this than I have anything since like I was working on the DS World TED Talk. That's the last and and Mike, like you remember the hours that went into that. Um, this is this this is I would say almost the same level of work as that. So. You know how they say actors do, they do like one for them and one for me, where like they'll do, a, you know, uh, uh, the, the uh, who's the guy that plays uh, the arrow shooting guy in the Avengers? Um, Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner, you know, he'll do like the Avengers and then he'll do a couple arty movies, you know. And yeah. so this this right here, this podcast, this work that I put in, this is the one for me. This is, this is the one right. for me. So starting with the IMDb, the Internet Movie Database Synopsis. Dr. Finestone has everything, a beautiful wife and a successful career in dentistry. But when he discovers his wife is in an affair, he realizes that behind every clean white surface lies the stench of decay. Having gone insane, 
he enacts cruel dental torture on his patients. Well, I, I just want to say for the first thing that um, Dr. Finestone, I love how they're Jew adjacent. You know, they don't want <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, we can't go Feinberg. We cannot go Feinberg. It's too much. Or Feinstein. Or, or Feinstein. Like I yeah. Googled when I, I paused it right there at the beginning and Googled Feinstein DDS. And there's like seven, you know, just within a 20 mile radius of where I am. So they obviously didn't want to get sued, but just pick some other random name. They still had to pick a, they wanted to have it sound Jewish, but not get sued uh, by any Jewish dentist. So I just thought that was the ACLU. Exactly. I thought that was crazy. Just the name, the name choice um, in its own. And by the way, there was a, uh, I don't, did you find uh, Dr. Glennon Engelman in your research? Okay. I did. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay, cool. Cause I didn't know anything about it and I'm sort of a, true crime kind of fan. And I did not know that there was, there was this dentist who um, this was mildly based on very, very, very mildly. So the following is my synopsis. So if you don't want to watch the movie, here's kind of a rundown of it. This is a few paragraphs long to kind of get you through the idea of it. But really, like we said, you got to watch the movie. The movie opens with a normal morning between Dr. Alan Feinstone and his wife, Brooke. Uh, which is, quote unquote, a very waspy name that comes up later in the movie. It's their anniversary today. On his way out of the house, he suspects something is amiss. He comes back to find his wife, Brooke, demonstrating the tender act of love with their pool man, Matt. And he's not a pool boy by any stretch of the imagination. He is a pool man. That This obviously tortures Dr. Finestone. He follows Matt, the pool guy, to the house across the street where he finds Matt caring for the sensual needs of his neighbor, Paula, as well. After a run-in with Paula's dog and his 380 pistol, Alan heads to the dental office. His first patient is little boy Jody. During the exam, Dr. Finestone starts to hallucinate, and he sees decay everywhere. He stabs Jody on the pallet with a scaler, causing Jody's mom to freak out and leave, carrying her son Jody out of the office like a World War II medic. Dr. Feinstone's next patient is April Rains, the beauty queen. Uh, While she's out on nitrous, he sees visions of his wife, Brooke. He begins to fondle her and then chokes her out. She wakes up and calls out for her manager, Steve, who uh, is played by a big star, which will be fun to talk about, uh, who carries her out of the office. They're dropping like flies, according to assistant Jessica. While cleaning the room, Jessica finds April's pantyhose on the floor. Oops. Steve comes back in the office and punches Dr. Feinstone in the face. This ruckus causes the office to close for the day. Since it was their anniversary, Brooke meets Alan at the office to go to dinner, but Alan has other plans. He shows Brooke her her anniversary present, a new operatory in his office. Uh, He then incapacitates her and extracts all of her teeth with the wildest instrument setup I've ever seen. The next morning, Matt, the pool guy, shows up to fix the broken sludge filter. He finds Brooke asleep by the pool. As he is netting out the dirty pool, he finds something disturbing. Brooke's tongue. Alan then kills Matt, the pool boy, with a chef's knife and an incredible amount of blood spatter. Dr. Feinstone uh, uh, heads back to the office, and surprise, surprise, his first patient is his neighbor, Paula. Paula asks Alan how the new pool guy, Matt, is working for them. Alan then destroys Paula's tooth with a, quote, donut burr, causing his assistant Jessica to intervene. After Paula leaves the office, Jessica, the dental assistant, gets strangled by uh, April's pantyhose that she discovered the day before. Alan puts her body in the nitrous closet, an obvious choice. Meanwhile, ballistics are back on the bullet from the dog murder. 
It turns out it's a 380. And guess who is a registered owner of a Walther PPK 380? Dr. Alan Feinstone. The cops now have a suspect. While Alan is choking his assistant, Jessica, the IRS agent responsible for auditing Dr. Feinstone shows up with the toothache. He bribes his way back to the operatory where he tries to shake down Dr. Feinstone. He's got some veneers that popped off and Alan offers to, quote, use laser bonding to reattach them in exchange for lenience on his audit. When Marv, the IRS agent, asks if Alan's wife is hot, Alan snaps and begins to torture Marv with an articulator. I'm not lying. It's really an articulator. At the, at the Feinstein home, police detectives find Matt's body and Brooke. They now know that Dr. Feinstone is a madman. Back at the office, Karen, the hygienist, finds Marv, the IRS agent, being tortured. Alan injects an air bubble into her neck, killing his second staff member. During all of this, a teenager named Sarah has been waiting patiently to get her braces off. She's go, she goes back to find Dr. Feinstone ready to debond her. While Sarah looks at her beautiful new smile, Dr. Feinstone hallucinates the rot and decay again. He pulls a gun on Sarah and she fights back to escape the operatory. The two play cat master on the office. Dr. Feinstone finds Sarah in the La Scala operatory where he holds a gun to her head and she promises not to eat any candy and brush her teeth three times a day. For some reason, this appeases Dr. Feingold. Meanwhile, the police show up at the office only to find Sarah crying in a dental chair and Dr. Feinstone on the run. No one knows where he went. Office manager Candy offhandedly remarks that Dr. Funstone was a great dentist and a great teacher. In true garbage movie logic, this means that he's going to the dental school to terrorize more people. And he is. At the dental school, he orders everyone's teeth to be extracted while brandishing his gun. He shoots one of the patients right before the cops bust in. Taking one of the dental school patients hostage, Alan is on the run around campus. He finds the school auditorium where for some reason a woman is practicing opera. This acts to end his hallucination and bring him to his knees where the police apprehend him. Feinstone gets sent to a mental institution where the film closes with him having a restoration placed in the prison dental clinic. Wow, that was a journey. By his wife. Yes, it, I, it never really showed who it really was. Oh, but the, the it, it was his, Yeah, and, and one of the best effects was um, the, the best visual effects. There were a couple of actually pretty decent visual effects in this movie, and the rest were horrible. But the one where they showed at the end when it's his wife that's the one that's doing the restoration on him, she had obviously some kind of uh, acrylic, something that went over her teeth that made it simulate being edentulous, right? Yeah, biotemps, and, like pink biotemps, yeah, basically, yeah. without teeth. And whoever made it made ovate ponics into all of those spaces, <laughs> which was really, those ovate ponics were really nice. I, I'm not even kidding. I mean, Glidewell makes a lot of those things for the movie industry. There's a connection with the Hollywood person because oh. biotemps were the easiest way to do some of that stuff. So there's lots of, in fact, we have, I don't know if I ever showed you, uh, I think it's still up there at the lab, but we have like um, the stone models of famous people whose mouths have come through the lab. So one of them is uh, is Tom Cruise. We have the stone models from the alginates they sent in to have biotemps made for what was it? Curse of the Vampire or what was it? The Vampire. Oh movie right, yeah, yeah. Interview yeah. with the Vampire. Interview, Interview with, with the vampire. vampire. Yeah, right. But uh, Brad Pitt also had an occlusal guard made, so his models are there, and female employees would take turns bringing them home for a night, I guess, and having them like uh, talk to them. But I think HIPAA stopped all that. But no, Hollywood actually has sent a lot of cases to Glidewell, uh. and biotemps have been used for a lot of those things. I had no idea. That's amazing. Um, the Rotten Tomato score on this movie. 
the critics gave this movie. Any guesses what number the critics gave this movie? How about a... Well, uh, I'm going to go with 87. <laughs> I- Just a little off, Lance. What did, what did Shawshank get? Yeah, Shawshank got a 91. So okay. they off of that. No. I'm going to go with lower. Yeah. <laughs> How about a big fat zero? This is uh, the zero around Rotten Tomatoes. Amongst the critics... How on many, the audience, many zeros out there? Uh, there's not a ton. I okay. mean, there's yeah. It, it, on on audience, it's twenty nine percent. So it's harder to find an audience movie with zero. There and that that audience. was all Josh. That was all yeah. Josh just turning a review <laughs> after review under different fake accounts. Um, Scott Weinberg from uh, eFilmCritic.com says. There's a fundamental difference between watching a person getting eaten by a horny monster from another dimension and watching a dentist drill gnaw at someone's teeth. I'm not exactly sure what the difference is, but hell, I know dentists and those guys are creepy enough already. That's an actual line from the movie review for uh, the dentist. IMDb score 5.3. So obviously a little, uh, little easier on the, uh, on the deal there. This movie debuted on October 18th, 1996. So Lance, tell me where you were in 1996 when this movie came out. 96. Okay, I've been in uh, I'm in dental school. So, um I'm probably second floor lab. I was a sophomore. Okay. W- possibly working on the visual effects. Probably of, of making movie. making yeah. gums that look just like the wife's. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, where were you in 96? You're practicing at some in some part of L.A., right? Uh, yeah, I got out in uh, 1988. So I was in um, I was in Downey still. I was probably the last year in Downey in L.A. County before moving down to uh, Orange, before moving down to Orange County. And, and to answer last, uh, Lance's last question, um, Bucky Larson, born to be a star, got a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Just for some uh, a, a little point of reference, and so did um, Super Babies, Baby Geniuses too. <laughs> so that's that's okay. where this movie is. But that's, where, right. that's the level we're talking. Okay. About. That's where it right. is. What about you, Josh? Ninety six. Ninety six. You guys are going to hate me. I was a uh, I was a junior in high school. Okay. So I was um, <laughs> I was uh, using dial up internet uh, on a twenty eight point eight. Baud uh-huh. modem yeah. um, to try to see as many breasts as I possibly could. Uh-huh. Nice. And this, this was at your healthcare focused high school. Yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. At, at health careers high school. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I remember when this movie came out and I did not see it when it came out, obviously at the theater, because I think it only, uh, we'll get into how much it made at the theater in just a minute. But uh, I saw it on HBO when it hit HBO. And there were a few things that I remember thinking when I saw it. Do you guys remember, Mike, when, when did you see this movie for the first time? I saw it um, probably within a year or two after it came out because I I used to talk about it. Uh, I used to talk about it in my lectures. I had uh, I would talk about like some of the goofs that we're going to talk about how it was in there, and it was kind of a bigger part of a thing that I would used to do in my lecture about how um, um, h- how bad dentistry has it because uh, you know medicine has shows like. Um, Emergency, ER, Chicago, Hope, Grayson. It goes on and on right. and on. And there, there's no dental. You know, they have ER. There's no dental show. There's no DR. We don't have dental room. And then I would go through this fake hypothetical thing of trying to make really, really ordinary things like a popcorn hole being stuck on the lingual of 19. Turn this into an emergency and everybody rushes into action with the rib spreaders. And uh, so I've been, I, I was making fun of this movie back um, 
in the day, but nobody had seen it. So I'd like bring it, bring it up to Dennis and nobody would know. And I'd say, you know, come on, Corbin Birdson, LA law, you guys haven't seen it, but nobody had seen it. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the three of us can hopefully single-handedly re- revive this movie. <laughs> I <laughs> hope so. Because I mean, I really, I think it is must see viewing. Uh, it debuted on October 18th, 1996. Other movies that came out that day, portrait of a lady, sleepers which actually was a, a pretty good movie that had kevin bacon and and uh bobby um bobby de niro uh and then uh the other movie that debuted that week swingers so pretty good yeah. movie weekend not, not bad not bad swingers is is good i haven't seen sleepers in in probably 15 or 20 years mm-hmm. but i've seen swingers in the last five years or so and it, it holds up mm-hmm. um I, mike when was the last time you saw swingers lance when was the last time you saw swingers um, oh, it's been a while, but I just binge watch um, all seven seasons of The Sopranos uh, over the last week and a half. I mean, so it was very so that's what I'm kind of comparing the dentist to. You know, I, I was watching David Chase and Matthew Weiner, you know, do, write The Sopranos. And right, right. One of the great TV shows of all time. And then, yeah, and then I went right to the dentist. And so for me, it wasn't. It's like fun. when you're at the club, you're at the, like the health club and you're in the, the hot tub or and you're in the, uh, the the sauna room and you get in the, the cold ice tub. Into the cold. That's this. Cold, right. Yeah. And uh, so John Favreau was on there um, on uh, The Sopranos and they talk about swingers and Christopher, one of the characters who has these dreams of making his own uh, movie, he and John Favreau have a couple great great scenes in there where he gives him some uh, constructive criticism on swingers as he pitches his own really ridiculous um, uh, gangster sci-fi movie to him. So that made me want to see it again, and it made me want to actually made me want to watch Chef again, you know, which is the last Favreau movie I probably saw that really had an influence on me because I ordered nothing but Cubano sandwiches for two years after that. <laughs> chef is amazing. I yeah, love Chef. Swingers, Swingers is still great. Uh, yeah. it, it's, I, it's one of those that kind of slips through the cracks a little bit, but I'd, I'd highly recommend Swingers. So I think of all those movies that came out that day, Swingers is probably the, the best out right. of all those. Agreed. I found two different numbers for budget, and I think I figured out where, where the discrepancy was. I found one number that said 3.2 million, and I found another number that said 700,000. And my question is, what'd they do with the other 600,000? <laughs> so how much does Corbin Burnson get out of that? I mean, you have to pay him a good amount of money. He's obviously, that's the number one expense of this movie, I feel like. Probably. It's got to be Corbin Burnson. The, that or the dead goat. I uh, <laughs> and I know that doesn't make any sense right now, but um, uh, I, yeah. So it's it's tough to say. I'm going to look up real quick um, what years L.A. Law was on TV. I, I have that. We have a whole Corbin Burnson discussion. Oh, got it. Okay. Was it in okay. the midst of that? He was hot, right? This is after. This is after. This is after L.A. Law. Yeah, but I mean, he still. That's a, as opposed to before. That's impressive. Well, he still had a name. He still had a name. We'll yeah. we'll table that for a minute. So so just so. I also found that uh, the movie grossed about five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I saw different different uh, numbers uh, ranging anywhere between five hundred and then and then seven hundred fifty thousand. So let's put it right in the middle. Five fifty. Nineteen ninety six top grossing movies: Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, The Rock, Jerry Maguire, and then English Patient won Best Picture in nineteen ninety six. So pretty good movie year, I would say. Stuff that like is still in rotation everywhere. Right. Um, in, just for scale, Independence Day grossed three hundred and twenty-six million dollars, <laughs> domestic and international. That's in theaters alone. That doesn't have anything to do with the rentals or anything like that. So, mm. um, yeah, kind of outclassed here <laughs> by by okay. the big 
by the big movies. But it was just a heartless shell of an action movie compared to The Dentist, where you had some true oh, emotionally sure. yeah. gripping moments yes. that yeah, will stick with you afterwards. Filming locations. The office, the exterior of the office, which we talked about a little bit uh, before we got started, is in Burbank, California. Does that look like Burbank to you, Mike? The nicest part of... Uh, of Burbank. That's where Adam Carolla films his uh, uh, podcast. And there are some nicer parts of Burbank, but it's very kind of Los Angeles, you know, 1980s kind of, this is, um, you know, mini kind of adjacent to a mini mall, like a nice looking office building. It it feels like Miami almost when you look at it and he's got pink walls inside his dental office too. So it's got a very Miami vice, I thought kind of feel once you get at least the pink walls when you get inside the office. But yeah, that could be in almost any LA suburb, to be honest. Uh, so that where that was filmed, the office in Burbank, California, that, that was just the exterior shots. All the interior shots were done on, on, a, uh, on a, a dental office built on a movie studio lot. So we'll get into that in just a second. A lot of uh, scenes happened in the house, the, the Dr. Finestone's house, uh, which I found out where the house is. It's at 16711 Bosque Avenue, in Encino. So I don't know much about Encino, Mike. What's what's up with Encino? Mm. Uh, Encino was um, the Calabasas of the uh, of the of the nineteen eighties. Like you know, you've got Encino was like the city, the suburb, like in the San Fernando Valley. So I'm down. You know, you've got L.A. and you've got Orange County, and then on the other side of the mountains, you have the San Fernando Valley and Valley Girls. You know, and Encino, man, it's kind of all those things that you're. That you're thinking of, but there was also a lot of Hollywood people who lived in Sino at the time. So uh, big houses, nice houses. This is a very nice looking house from the outside. When you see it, there's a lot of kind of stunning things about this. And I, um, I've been to some dentist house. I've never been to like a, a dentist who lives in kind of a in a house like this. That's one of the weird things about it. But it feels very Encino-ish or 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 the not as good section of maybe Beverly Hills. But this could easily be in Beverly Hills as well. Mm. The the house was very like late eighties ish, right, Lance? Would you agree oh, yeah. with that? Like the decor. Sure. There's yeah. a lot of like gold, like the uh the metal piping around the fireplace was gold. That seems very like, oh, this was built in nineteen eighty seven kind of mm. kind of chic. Uh yeah, I, I didn't notice that. Because <laughs> you didn't watch it four one. times. <laughs> uh, so I, interesting news on the house. So I kind of de- I did a little deep dive on the house. Uh, according to Zillow, the house last sold in 2012 for $5,000. It's got to be... In- which I don't understand. Yeah, I, I don't auction. like... <laughs> maybe they found out that the dentist was filmed there. And they just like... Like when, like uh, the Amityville Horror House, when, right. when they like a family died in here. Oh, we have to give it away. Yeah, um, or they just missed a decimal, a typo. That may be it. it it's valued at three point nine million dollars. Yeah. yeah. So for Encino, like for me in Texas, that's like three point nine million dollars would buy you a mansion. But in mm-hmm. Encino, like that's not that. I would guess in your area, Mike, that's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah, well, in, in my area, it wouldn't have all that, it wouldn't have all that land, you know, the closer you get to the beach, obviously things go up, but Encino, I, I bet the average house, there, there's a lot of parts of Encino that aren't that nice. So I, that's probably still higher, much higher than the average house there. But, um, yeah, I mean, except for the decorations, I think that house kind of still holds up, but, um, a lot of Hollywood and a lot of entertainment personalities have decamped to Calabasas 
you know, where Ho- where Kobe's uh, helicopter crashed and where the Kardashians and Kanye West now are, which is more out in the, the country. And Sino's just mm-hmm. smack dab in the middle of the valley where it gets hotter than hell, over 100 degrees, lots of traffic, lots of smog. Well, there used to be back when you could drive your car and it was still legal to eat in restaurants. But these days, you know, you can see the mountain. You can see all kinds of things that you couldn't see before in, in L.A. But um, next time you come out, Josh, let's um, – Let's go to the comedy store you go like we did last it? time. Oh, I, I, there's no way you're not going to have me take a picture of you standing on that front porch. And if we can hop the fence and get by the pool, maybe you can find that Bring huge the gum they used for that fake uh, fake tongue that was in the pool, whatever that was. So I actually found an article that was written and published in the New York Times on April 14th, 1996, about the people who own that house. Oh, wow. Uh, and that house has been in a lot of movies. Uh, and so that lady pays for her entire house by having people um, uh, shoot uh, movies in the house. And so uh, this this article talks about all the things that have, have filmed there. Beverly Hills 90210 was shot there or, or shot scenes there. Uh, Ghost in the Machine uh, uh, did a uh, or filmed some stuff there. Ice Cube shot a video there. Um, so So lots of stuff. So she was getting around four grand a day. Um, for filming in her house. Wow. Um, a movie called Polly with Felicia Rashad was shot there. Um, so so that's kind of what this house is for. So um, I, I guess that just seems like a very LA thing, Mike, is like having a house that you then like loan out to um, to movie studios. Do you, do you have any friends that have ever done that? No, I mean, there's um, Jim Glidewell certainly could, you know, with one of his, he's got this one on, on the back bay that looks, uh, it feels a lot like, uh, kind of Graceland, you know, and it's got these this huge yard and these big tall ceilings on the inside, and he could um, certainly do that. But you, so I don't know anybody personally, but you definitely hear stories about things like that, and it's it, it's it's hard to go around LA and not see posters up where they're you know shooting in certain places, and uh, and there's definitely tours up there where they would drive you around the Brady Bunch house and the Partridge Family house. I doubt the dentist is on there. <laughs> But the idea, uh, yeah, the idea of renting your house out for an unprofitable zero rated movie sounds awesome. I'd love to have those people running around in my house for a day or two. Uh, Pasadena College was the site of the dental school that they filmed all the scenes done at the dental school. As far as I know, Pasadena College does not have a dental school. Um, So they obviously did some makeshift makeshift stuff. They couldn't get uh, USC, I guess, to, to let them film there. Or UCLA, um, the, the, the shot of the dental school, it's so clearly not a dental school. It looks like an old improv. You know, there's a brick wall yeah. in the back of it, like every comedy club has. And so it looks like it used to be a comedy club. And then, uh, to, you know, to make it look like uh, a, a teaching setting, there's a big chalkboard. And in the middle of the word pain's written really big, which is like one of those, <laughs> it's like one of those things that drives me crazy, like from that movie, uh, what was the uh, uh, John Krasinski movie the where Quiet you, Place? Yeah, did I ever go tell you about that? How yes, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> the whiteboard. Yeah, the whiteboard <laughs> where it says how many are they? Do they react to sound? It's like really you have to write this down. You can't remember. It's like why would you word the word pain on a in big <laughs> on a chalkboard in dental school? It's like what's that thing we're trying to avoid? <laughs> Shoot, help me with it. It's like a shorter word. It's just it's ridiculous. There's no way that's a dental school. That's a that's a junior college. That probably cost nothing to be able to go in there, but they needed it. You know, obviously they couldn't go to a dental school because you can't have somebody singing opera, you know, in a lecture hall. You needed, and that tied back to that opening. The obsession with the opera in this field is really. There's a lot of opera in this, which reminded me 
I, Lance, do you know any dentists who are into opera? I can't think of one. Mike and I know one. Oh. Mike, who am I thinking about? Dr. Kim from Contact Yes. Eating? Yeah. He sings... Um, he, that guy's a genius. I, I love this guy. He's definitely one of my mentors. But he sings opera to his patients, and he's got them taped like on the wall of the operatory, and he sings it to them uh, oh, well. while w- while he works. He's definitely not a murderer, though. Well, no, 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 I no, mean, no. But if somebody were, he'd figure out a really good way to do it. I mean, he figured he's got so many patents, dental and non-dental patents, that he invented a. Uh, this told non secular, but he invented um. It's kind of like a Floby, but it's a way to cut hair, but it attaches to the end of a standard vacuum. He's got a patent for that, uh, but never like made it. And he just looks at problems and tries to think of uh, of easier ways to fix it. So he would he would come up with um, some really good ways. But yeah, that's the one. So he could be a serial he's killer. He's, he's brilliant enough to be a uh, serial killer. He is, but he also won a local Dancing with the Stars competition up in uh, oh, up wow. where he lives. So yeah, he's he can't do both of those. All right, we have to have the Corbin Burnson discussion now because you can't talk about this movie without talking about Cor- Corbin Burnson. So, Lance, I ask you, is Corbin Burnson a household name? Uh, in my household, yeah, because we liked the TV show Psych, and he was the dad. I I think there was a time where he was definitely a household name. Oh, and yeah. the funny thing is, is going through his IMDb page, I'm not sure why. <laughs> Other than just the like, the entertainment industry was much smaller during that time. Apparently. Have you and seen so we- those blue eyes? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so let's go through this. Let's go through his deal. He started working in like 1976 consistently. His big okay. break was a it was a TV show called L.A. Law, which mm-hmm. ran from 86 to 94. He played a, a one of the lead characters named Arnie Becker. Now I think L.A. Law. What I remember, I don't. You know, this was not kind of. I was. I was what seven in 1986, um, so you know, obviously not consuming like mm-hmm. legal drama shows back then. Um, but I remember Jimmy Smiths from LA Law. Mm-hmm. I remember Corbin Burnson, and I remember there was like a special needs guy that worked at the law firm. Uh-huh. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what that story was about. I don't know why I remember that. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember that quirky storyline, but I do. <laughs> I do remember everybody. It was big. That show was. It was, show big. was huge. So, and like, are we talking mash big? Or are we talking like biggest show on TV at the time, uh, or one of? One might, of. You, it was up there. Yeah, I mean, the, the People magazine, the, the cover stories would would talk about the relationships and things. So it was okay. definitely was big. Okay. Um, now this was during a time where there were TV actors and movie actors, and those were different things. Do you remember those days? Yeah. Like, you would not get a movie star on TV, and a TV star would not go to movies. And when they did, when they cross over, it'd go bad. Um, nowadays, that seems all crazy because you mm-hmm. see guys like Matthew McConaughey doing, you know, True Detective and and all kinds of stuff like that. And Brian mm-hmm. Cranston is a huge TV star who does a bunch of movies. And yeah. that day is kind of gone. But back then, I think I think he probably got pigeonholed in as a TV actor. Of course, he uh, did Major League, kind of in the well. So there. that's that's the big movie role is Major League in 1989. Mm-hmm. So obviously, off the heat of LA Law, he played Roger Dorn, the third baseman who didn't want to dive. Um, uh-huh. who also was cuckolded in that movie as well, I believe, right? Didn't I, someone yeah. sleep with his... Didn't Charlie Sheen sleep with his wife in that movie? Probably. That's, that's a good question. I didn't see it. I'm pretty sure. And he didn't snap and kill all of his teammates. Not that we know. No. I, I, <laughs> so that would have been a League different two. movie. Uh, there was a Major League Two that Corbin Burton was in in 1994. Um, he did a bunch of TV movies... From 94 until even like now, kind of. Mm. Um, so I, I think it was L.A. Law 
major league. And then it's kind of been downhill for Corbin Burnson from there. I think he came up at the wrong time where once you got a role on TV, that's what you were. You were a TV actor. Yeah. And that's, I think he's been trying to break out of that. Cause if you look at his IMDb, it is a long list of things that say TV movie. Okay. Yeah. By the way, LA law won 15 Emmys, including four for outstanding drama series. So yeah. It was- wow. Did Corbin Burnson ever win an Emmy? That's a good question. Um, but according to Celebrity Net Worth, his net worth is $16 million, but that's a combined net worth with his wife of 30 years, Amanda Pays. Um, so who knows? I think he, um, you know, to me, he has one thing in common with the character he plays in The Dentist. And I figured they were, they that is, they were both having IRS trouble. And that might have been <laughs> why, why he did this movie. Because it's such a questionable, weird choice for a guy who had... Um, I don't know. I don't remember not liking him on on L.A. Law, but uh, I mean, it was kind of an abrasive personality. But uh, I don't know. It seems weird to be that that big and kind of not get steady work after. Yeah. Then again, you don't see Jimmy Smith's everywhere either. Right. I mean, it doesn't right. seem like he's it pops up here and there, but he's not. Yeah. Like constantly. like character roles. Right. Yeah. Seems like um, so he's been married for 30 years to the same person. Yeah. Wow. And it looks like they got married. Looks like they got married in '88. Before that, he was married to someone else for four years. So mm. he's on his second second marriage. She's an English actress, Amanda Pays. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know much about her at all. Uh, it does not look like he ever won uh, ever won an Emmy. Um, when I I spoke uh, briefly to Gina Dorfman, uh, and she told me uh, Mike Detola looks like Corbin Burnson. Well, he now he did lose his hair and shaves his head now, but he he's got. I think it's more. You know, people have said Bruce Willis before. You know, when I if I'm like ten pounds, fifteen pounds lighter than I am now, uh, that comes up. But um, you could say that about anybody. I guess shaves their head who has kind of a certain shaped head. I mean, it's kind of like uh, <laughs> Mike Detola looks like Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, yeah, and Charles Barkley. But um, <laughs> um a fun aside. Uh, Corbin Burnson was in an episode of Law and Order at some point uh, in the early 90s. Uh, my brother, who was trying to act in New York at the time, was his uh, his uh, double, his stand-in uh, for that episode of uh, Law and Order in New York uh, back wow. in like 1992. So weird, weird aside. Wow. That is... It's almost like you know him. <laughs> it's, we're like we're best friends. Or something. Um, so Corbin Burnson is, is it, when you say the name, when I when I would say the name the dentist, I would always say the movie with Corbin Burnson. Um, and so the, the, these two are are inextricably tied. And and um, why he chose to do this, and then um, why he chose to make a sequel to this called The Dentist Two, uh, is just beyond me. Uh, but I'm glad that he did. He makes this movie better. He's obviously his acting in this movie. Um, it's hard to judge his acting because the script is so terrible. Um, but he did okay with it. There were a couple of scenes that, that were not terrible. Um, the first five seconds of, did, did you guys notice the first five to seconds to 60 seconds of the movie? Um, he's pretending to do dentistry. Like he's with his hands, he's kind of miming, putting a handpiece on the delivery system and he's miming like the footwork that it would, that he would use to start the rheostat and all that. Yeah. It's obvious. And it also seemed like they wanted the illusion of conducting, yes. you know, this opera at the same time. And it was, uh, it was a real unnecessary stretch, but I did feel like he was like practicing in heaven. I was, I, I was confused. 
Yeah, white scrubs, yeah. white room. Yeah, very angelic kind of kind of deal, and it links back up to it at the end, obviously. Yeah, I thought it was a, a kind of an homage, a Kubrick thing for a Clockwork Orange, but uh, oh, okay, it wasn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> there are some homages. We'll get into that into the trivia when, when we get there. There are some homages, but not to Kubrick, at least that I could find in research. So let's get through the scenes. Let's okay. go through the categories. So the first category we're going to do is the most unwatchable scene. Um, so we, I, I have one, two, three, four, five, six scenes nominated. You guys feel free to interject here. Okay. Um, if there's one that I missed, uh, fill that in. If, uh, if there's something you want to discuss about any of these scenes, you let me know. So the first scene I think is, is obviously, I think it's the most important scene of the movie. Uh, it's the scene where he catches Brooke with Matt, the pool man. Um, that whole scene, there's a fantasy that's involved with that. It, it It's just spectacular from start to finish. Um, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's the impetus for the whole movie, the whole movie, the tone is set for the whole movie in literally what the first six minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was blown away that the pool guy was sleeping with all the women in the neighborhood. That is some insane out of the box thinking in terms of creativity. Um, that's something so obvious though. I wonder how all of us didn't think of that, even though it's been in every fifth porn movie since world war two. Uh, I mean, that is just such an, uh, why didn't, uh, uh, I'm surprised a pizza delivery guy didn't show up and they turn it into a three-way. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> it was embarrassingly obvious on the nose. Yeah. But I want to uh, just at the beginning of the movie, uh, something I don't think Corbin Burnson handled well, and I can't wait to hear what you think he handled well. But I love the phone call he gets in the beginning where he's like, I'd love to act this out. Where was my phone? <laughs> Hello? The IRS? <laughs> yes, it's me. So it's like uh, they must call and go, Hello, this is the Internal Revenue Service. And he goes, The IRS? <laughs> and, he's, and they're like, Is this you? Yes, it's me. It's, it's just so, it's like, <laughs> you remember that, Josh? It's just such I a bad, bad moment. And then the first fight he has with Brooke in that scene. Yeah. Here's this dentist. I mean, we've seen how part of the things that are going to change from COVID-19 are going to be dentists not wearing golf shirts to the office anymore, probably to work, you know, probably actually wearing something with elastic sleeves. But he's really pissed off at his wife because he can't wear his diamond cufflinks because they're at the jewelers having the stones reset. reset. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that was in my notes. Cufflinks and dentists do not go... No, the no. closest you get is Josh and his vineyard vines, and and th- you know, the clothing brand loyalty and dentists are are a stretch. Let alone wearing cufflinks to the office. I mean, every just, scene he's yeah. in, he has cufflinks. Yeah, on. right. Cufflinks are a big part of the movie, and it starts with he comes down the stairs with the pink shirt that's got the stain on it around the the monogram that's initial that is monogrammed initials onto the pocket, and he's he's bitching at Brooke because she didn't she didn't notice the stain on his shirt when she picked it up and and he has to wear his white shirt. Now he already has his white shirt on. He's bitching about not being able to wear the pink shirt, but he doesn't want to wear the white shirt because he always wears his diamond cufflinks with, with the white shirt. But then she gives him the anniversary present. She got him platinum cufflinks and he was able to tell they were platinum just by looking at them. I guess from casting all the crowns, you become a metallurgist or something like that. I don't There's know. There's a bit of that. Yeah. Lance, can you tell platinum just by looking at it? I usually have to bite down on it. You, you, know? have, to, you have to bite yeah. it or taste like it. Like an yeah. old miner. As <laughs> right. <laughs> you, do, you do like the old miner dance? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, nice. I'll be honest. Probably once a day I mistake it for palladium. I'm getting it wrong all the time. <laughs> right, I'm being yeah. asked to check metals all the time. I'm, get, I'm getting it wrong, frankly. I'll be honest most of the time. Yeah. Well, 
Now, they, they do have a little tender moment in the bathroom where, where he kisses her. Um, he notices that she has nothing on under her robe. And he's frightened for her safety from the pool man is really what it seems like. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Mm. He's definitely worried about her get, her getting raped. And then he notices that uh, she's got oil all over her arm, which uh, comes into play uh, in, in, in just a second. And as he's leaving, he walks out. And there's the Matt, the pool man, who's, who's one of my favorite characters of the whole deal. And he's got on... I, he looks he's dressed like a Marky Mark video, right? Like 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 acid watch jeans mm-hmm. and like a, a a tank top. I've never worn a tank top like this. But where you take the tank top and you cut it so that it hangs lower everywhere. Have you ever seen that move? Everywhere in that. Los Angeles. Okay, Every gym huh. in Los Angeles. Absolutely. It seems like a Venice Beach kind of move, oh, right? Totally. Like a muscle yeah. beach. Yeah. Got some good vibrations on that. Exactly. Yeah. And he has on a purple do-rag, which reminds me of have you ever seen that that scene from The Office where Michael Scott pretends that he's you know, it's prison. prison Mike, prison Mike with the purple do rag? Yeah. It's the same purple do rag. It's the same exact one. It totally is. And you te- you texted that to me, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And then I, I I pulled I pulled that up, and it was exactly it. And then I went back and watched uh, Michael Scott as as prison Mike trying to exploit because they had that guy in the accounting department on The Office who had served time before Martin. And uh, he goes into it's just one of the classic office scenes, and it's th- those are the only two purple bandanas in movie history. I've ever seen. So it was yeah. a really good call on your part. Um, did you did you guys notice that the uh, the pull man that he had on a a pretty um, ostentatious timepiece on his wrist? Did you guys? Was this just me? I'm you. a watch. I'm a watch aficionado. Apparently. The pull man is wearing a solid gold Rolex Presidential. I mean, it's a $30,000 watch. I really expected that it was going to turn out that she gave him one of the dentist watches. And I'm, or, That's what, it, yeah. That was my thinking. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Like, this has to be something, that, and the, but they never address it. He's just wearing a solid gold Rolex, which is just absolutely spectacular. I didn't um, notice that. Hey, I did notice um, along the same scene where the wife smokes and then he gets mad. So he has to go brush his teeth. Because she's busy, ki- kissed her, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought that's what it was. <laughs> I, I have to go brush my teeth again. <laughs> it's, it's. That's probably the best acted moment in the whole deal. That he would really care that she was smoking. There was a lot of cigarettes in this movie. She smokes a good amount. Um, I think there's someone else that lights up at some point. Um, I think the assistant, that, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very smoke scene. Um, I love that. <laughs> just. Uh, Lance, have you ever had a pool? I don't know if there's a lot of people who have pools in Seattle since there's not much time to to spend outside. There's a couple, but not me. I've never had one. So he's working on the quote unquote sludge filter of the pool and there's all this oil everywhere, but they're right next to the pool. And when you build a pool, none of the maintenance equipment is put right next to the pool. He's basically cleaning out like the skimmer net, the skimmer bag, like out of, you know, that's, that's right in the pool. Okay. But they're pretending that, that that has a motor on it that has a lot of oil. And that's obviously not true. Like if your filter pump goes, you know, needs a new motor or whatever, that oil is going to be way back, like in the maintenance closet, like on the side of the house. It's not going to be right next to the pool. Gotcha. But I did love how they like really keyed in on the oil and just started showed Matt the pool guy just scrubbing it all over his pants and it's just everywhere and 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 that's really what clued him in on the fact that that she was she was uh, 
being tender with Matt. Right. Meanwhile, the sludge filter should have actually been in his dental office on the suction device. You know, we always fight over who has to go clean out that disgusting thing with the chunks of tooth and gingiva uh, on it. And uh, yeah, so Corbin Burnson as the dentist has a real fetish about anything that's dirty. And I kind of get that. We live like close to the beach, but I hate eating at the beach. I hate when sand gets into things, but it doesn't send me into a murderous rage. <laughs> so he leaves the house and then the pool guy and his wife start to hook up and there's uh, some simulated- Literally within seconds. Literally within within seconds. Second. You never do it right away. You give it like a five to 10 minute buffer to make sure that they don't come back, right? I mean, that's just good, solid adultery. Well, Josh, <laughs> all right. I'll take your word on I'll take your word for that, that that's the way to keep from- uh, should, should write keep, a pamphlet. Keep from getting caught, but- uh, yeah, then pretty soon there's uh, just a really bad uh, simulation of oral pleasure uh, that, that's being given. It's trying to shot in a way to make it look real, but it's very clear that it's not nothing very clear. real going yeah, on. It's not real. Um, Corbin Burnson, uh, or, or I'm sorry, Alan Finestone um, witnesses this, and this is what what sends him sends him off and going. Um, and then he has the probably my favorite moment of the movie. It's in the first ten minutes. And that's when he has the fantasy about what he's going to do about this. And he, he goes outside and he puts his, he, he you know, holds his, his gun, which his gun is great, by the way. We need to talk about the gun right quick. The gun is a chrome-plated <laughs> pistol with a mother-of-pearl handle. It's the, like the most effeminate gun of all time. Right. And, and it, it plays a huge role in the movie. He's always fingering the gun. It's always in his pocket. It's always with him. He holds a gun up to Matt the Pool Boy and pushes her head down onto Matt. And uh, we'll get into it in a minute, but my favorite line of the whole movie is uh, where he's, I don't want to read it because we're going to get into it, but uh, he he says, you know, uh, she's the wife of a dentist. That means she has a perfect bite. Right. Show her that, show him that perfect bite, honey. Right. Um, you know, you know, the guy who wrote it um, thought that was one of the most clever things Yes. That he had ever come up with uh, about that. You know, that means she has a perfect bite. And, and it was just uh, found a way to be able to you know get him to start biting while she's giving these oral pleasures. And, you know, he must have thought, oh, this is I can tell there's a couple times where, you know, there was a self-satisfied sniff when he wrote something. And that that really feels like one of them right there. Like he comes up with the connection of bite and bite and goes, "Ooh, <laughs> I got so it. Good. But alas, it's all just a, a fantasy, and and uh, he drives away, um, and then he goes to the next. Oh, he, no! Then he starts following Matt, the pool guy, which is where he finds that Matt is also sleeping with the neighbor across the street, Paula. Matt is a machine. Matt literally just climaxed from the oral pleasures with uh, Brooke, the the wife, he must and now great. he clearly he must. <laughs> I mean, there is there's some serious. Um, uh, you know, I, his, his, um, Stamina? what do you call that? He Slow doesn't down. have like, a refractory period. Refractory period. Yeah. His, his refractory period is, is measured is in milliseconds at best. Right. Yes. Good for him though. I mean, like really, really good for him. Yeah. Good for him. So that whole scene is just amazing. It, it sets the pace of the movie. Um, any, do you guys have anything else to add about, about that scene? Well, I like when uh, he goes to talk, it looks like they're, They've already implemented social distancing when he goes to talk to the neighbor. He's a good 12 feet from her yeah, he as he's talking to her. And she yawns. She conveniently yawns during this conversation. And he's like, looks like we need to replace a filling. And so they they cut to a shot of her while she's yawning. And it's just her anterior teeth. And they're perfect. 
So somehow he has diagnosed a posterior tooth from 12 feet away as she yawns. With no radiograph. With no radiograph and says, we need to uh, get you in for that filling. I'll have my office call you. When have you ever said that to a patient? I'll have my office call you. And then faithfully, they do have him go to the office and they're like, call Mrs. Blank for this filling. And it's like, well, this is strong arming that I saw in the (laughs) Sopranos over the last couple of days. You can't just call people up and tell them they have to come into the office. So I'm going to start doing that. That's going to be my new deal. I'm just going to see people at the store and just be like, ah, there's a problem there. My office will call you. I do like that at one point in the movie. I don't remember when, but he's got a picture on his desk. <laughs> I was going to bring this up. Of the wife, his wife, and this neighbor that you're talking about sitting by the pool wearing bikinis with glasses of wine. And the pool guy just happens to be in the background of the photograph. <laughs> the it's like, how how did this happen? How convenient. It's insanely staged. And if he took the picture, didn't he see the pool guy back there? And why? I mean, so, and then there's one of the special effects you talk about where Matt disappears from the picture, just kind of bleeds out of it. Did you notice that? I did. Yeah, yeah. very, very, uh, very Back to the Future esque of of Matt sort of disappearing from from the from the frame. I love the fact that he's got a, a framed photo of his neighbor in a bikini on, on his on his desk. That would be like me having a picture of Andrea and Lindsay sitting at, by the pool with bikinis on, framed on my desk, like. That's not really appropriate for me to have on my desk. With Gordon Christensen in the background getting the leaves <laughs> out of the pool or something like that. It's like, how did he get there? It's just like, uh, really? He happened to be cleaning it and they happened to be posing with wine glasses. But if this, of course, leads to him like going into the backyard to see what Matt and Paula, is that her name, Paula? Paula. To yeah. see what those two are doing in the backyard. And that's where he, you know, the ferocious, I don't know, you're a dog guy. Was that a Doberman? What was that, a Rottweiler? That's the other thing. So this is, is you know, the nice part of Encino. Uh, it was it was a pit bull. Oh, it was uh, a pit bull. And, and, yeah, and Paula, just like the whitest bred woman on the face of the earth, just has this mean, ferocious, like dog fighting pit bull in her backyard. I, I felt like that was uh, she would have like a Yorkie, I feel like, or like a teacup poodle, something yeah. like that, before she would have like yeah, that that <laughs> a, dog must have bull. run away from like the Inland Empire from Riverside County and somehow got in the ninety one and the ten, found a way to to her house because it was out of place and it was a it was an angry dog. It was a very angry dog, and and he had to put that dog down, uh, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. My next most unwatchable scene. This is actually the scene that made me cringe the most in the whole movie. The the Jody the child scene. You guys remember this scene? Oh yeah. This scene was was really tough. So uh, this was uh, I guess was it the first patient? Yeah, this is the first patient he sees when he gets in that day. I mean, he has to pretend being really nice to Jody, who's just the first dentist. It's visit. a boy, by the way. We have to say yeah, Jody the God boy. Knows, <laughs> God knows what reason. And they spelled it J-O-D-Y. I had the captions on yeah. for this movie. So, for example, one of the patient's name is April Rain. Yes. And it's they spell it R-E-I-G-N. You know, it's like, okay, whatever. I mean, it's a, not even – it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So, Jody, yeah, was a little boy who was at the office for his first visit. For his first visit, and he goes back into the rainforest room. So all the rooms are are themed. Themed, yeah. Did you guys notice that the clinical attire changed based on what room they were in? I did. Yeah, the big <laughs> so bad. Mock. Yeah. Well, the the hygienist who was kind of an assistant too, but really kind of a hygienist. I'm assuming the Asian lady was the, yes, the, yes. the hygienist, Karen. She looked like she had just graduated from something four minutes ago. And then walked into the dental office. She's wearing some blue kind of flowing. So her clinical attire it's, was it's a, like, it like a cap and gown without the cap. Yeah, it's like a choir gown. Basically, yeah, it was like, yeah, I wore yeah. stuff like mm-hmm. that when I was an altar boy in the Catholic church. <laughs> That's the kind of thing yeah. I wore, yeah. So Jody's in the rainforest room. And there's a line in the rainforest room 
that I just loved. Let me see if I can find it. Um, <laughs> he's talking to Jody's mom, and he says something about like uh, we've turned dentistry into interactive medicine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not like. Dude, you hung up a poster with some animals on it. That's not exactly uh, <laughs> interactive medicine. Um, that line just just floored me. Um, and then he's working on Jody, and that's when he sees the sort of decay. He hallucinates it, and then he stabs Jody in the palate. Uh, and 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 I I've have you ever stabbed anybody in the palate to make them bleed like that? I can't think of once. No, and uh, but it was funny. It looked like he was trying to do a cleaning with the Explorer, you know, because they had no idea what a dentist would actually do with the Explorer. So he's just going around and going around, and then he um, stabs the kid, and it's like he hit the carotid artery. I mean, it's just insane what happens. And and I love the way that Jody's mom literally carries him out like she's in Saving Private Ryan, and he just has blood running out of his out of his mouth, and he's lightheaded. He's passing in and out of consciousness as she's carrying him out um, from from this minor injury on the palate of uh, of his upper teeth. Oh yeah, it was like it was like he went into some kind of like peyote fever dream, you know, as he was doing this with the Explorer, and that's what seems like it kind of caused this because he's looking at the kid's teeth, and then all of a sudden they're all stained. So this. This is like a recurring theme that he starts hallucinating how dirty it is. And it reminds him of the sludge filter at the pool. And that's when he starts to lose it. So, yeah, he hits the kids like incisive papilla, like he's holding a chainsaw. And then, yeah, the mom runs out of the room holding her semi-conscious son. Um, And the sound was they dubbed in was a newborn crying. The kid's kid's like five. And you're like, where's the new? Somebody needs to be fed. And you're like, oh, that way went way too young on the sound effect here. Yeah, the foley work in this movie um, is is interesting. There's a, you know there's a lot of high speed noises and stuff like that, um, and there's a lot of like uh, uh, metal instruments and stuff like that. So props to whoever did whoever did foley on this. They um, you know they I, I I think back to you know like the old days of like radio shows, right? And they would like if it was horses you know galloping by, they would take like two coconuts and 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 clank them on a, on a thing of wood. Like how would you fully a dental handpiece if you didn't have, you know, a, a real handpiece? I, I wouldn't know they, how to engineer that. They clearly recorded high speed handpieces, but there is one great goof where they show them holding a slow speed handpiece yeah. and it's the sound of a high speed. It's like, Oh, they didn't even bother to do that. But while we're on the uh, rainforest room, there's a scene later in the rainforest room operatory where the IRS guy comes in and he looks around. He's like, hell, this place is like a palace. <laughs> and it's basically like 20 fake plants around the room is all it is. So if you consider like the flake, fake plant aisle at Michael's to be palatial, um, then, yeah, I guess it's a, a palace. But it's like they had no money to even like a rainforest room should have some sort of moisture in it or sound. Go to the rainforest yeah. cafe. I don't think rainforest Well, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of like animatronic gorillas like sweeping down from the room and like uh, or sweeping down from the roof. And like eating a banana or whatever, you know, that that to me is 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 palatial. Yeah, there's nothing palatial about these 10 by 10 operatories with dust collecting fake plants all over them. Oh, but the tray table, even when they bring in the, 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 the tray table of the instruments, it's got like a little palm tree on it, too. It's just yeah. like the most. And, and the bibs, the, the bibs that they wore in the rain, rainforest room had like hibiscus plants on them or something like that. Right. Did you got have you guys Very seen nice. um there's a dentist who's just crushing it out here in L.A. He actually got Sanrio to co-sponsor his Hello Kitty office. Have you seen this guy? 
I have not no. seen this. I wish I could remember his name, but good. Go, oh, he's on the cover of Dental Town. That's where I originally oh. saw him. He's on the cover of Dental Town. He's got two practices now, but he got the Japanese company Sanrio to do his offices, the first Hello Kitty dental office, because his daughter had a really bad lung infection last year and was in the hospital. And she brought all, she wanted all her Hello Kitty stuff. And that, you know, they kind of feel that this is part of what helped her get through this and recover. And so they told that story to Sanrio, who owns the trademark for that. And they like that story and his mission of using Hello Kitty to um, uh, help children who are anxious about being at the dentist by having this theme in the office. And they went all out with all kinds of trademark stuff. And now he's got people, not just kids, but adult fans. As you might expect, <laughs> it's not just My Little Pony. There's adult Hello Kitty fans, too, flying in from parts of Asia to come in and, and have cleanings and have work done in this Hello Kitty office. It's amazing. That's what theming looks like in a dental office. Not, right. Not, not this. Operatory. And, and the uh, assistant, Jessica, had to put on like a, a Hawaiian shirt. That was like her personal protective equipment in, in the uh, in the rainforest room. Um, some, something tells me, I think, not exactly a virus uh barrier that uh, that hawaiian shirt that you put on yeah I mean, it's just silly i mean silly just kind of well you said um you uh you you sent me something that said they didn't have a lot of money for props and things yeah. like that like yeah. even that scene where the kid's playing with like uh one lego you know in the reception area <laughs> or whatever he's trying to do it's like, it doesn't have anything to snap it even on together against you know yeah and it was it was pretty creepy the way corbin bernson was talking to that kid before he brought him back there he was a hi, Jody. Is this your first visit to the dentist? It was really like over the top. That's probably the best acting that that Corbin Burnson does in the uh, in the entire movie. Um, the next most unwatchable scene is uh, Brooke's extraction scene. Um, so this is Brooke is is meeting him at the office to go to the anniversary dinner, uh, and he is uh, he's going to um, he's going to incapacitate her and and uh, and get her all all uh, i guess and there's probably pound for pound more goofs in this few minutes of, of the movie than anywhere else so <laughs> she comes to the office she's all dressed up because it's anniversary right she's got the little black dress on with some kind of weird sort of 80s um weird mesh jacket of some sort i don't know if you noticed that yeah it was very stevie nicks like something she yes. would wear uh, kind of like yeah. witch like kind of like uh yeah a lot of flowy stuff back then and uh like seinfeld's poofy shirt you know yes from back uh, in that time. shoulder pads yeah so he he is there to surprise her with her anniversary gift <laughs> But he's wearing a tuxedo. He has a tuxedo on. He has not left the office, which means he, he has a keeps, tuxedo yeah. at the office, ready to roll. And not only did he have a tuxedo, he had on a white scarf, like the tuxedo scarf that goes with it. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's, it's 88 degrees outside. I was going to say, it's cool weather in L.A. Right. Why does he need this scarf? He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't need the scarf. He keeps a tux uh, at the office for the prom operatory, apparently, when he's working uh uh, working in there. And um, I like how um, he tells his wife uh, earlier in the day, he's seen like one kid. That's his first patient who her mother carries him out after two and a half minutes. And he, then he talks to his wife on the phone. He's like, I'm running late. You'll have to meet me at the office. <laughs> You've seen one patient for two and a half minutes and he already running late, but that's ridiculous. The way he comes out dressed like that. I mean, that's the, it, the only time Dennis wear tuxedos is the uh, oral health, Gala at uh, Chicago Midwinter. I mean, oh, maybe yeah, like America's Tooth Fairy. Yeah, maybe right. some ADA stuff that you used yeah. to do. Your seven-year yeah. commitment, your endless commitment. <laughs> yeah. Thank God it's over. 
Um, he then uh, proceeds to show Brooke uh, his anniversary present to her, <laughs> which is he's equipped a new operatory. Which uh, could could you, Lance? Could you imagine if you told Holly, Holly, I have this huge gift for you? It's, yeah, that's not going to go over very well. It's the fourth operatory. Yeah, she's she's gonna she gives no. <laughs> doesn't give two shits about that and, and she'll be pissed off at how much money i would have spent to right for something completely useless like like that, that now he's that literally would go over worse than saying i have a huge surprise for you and then unzipping your pants the only <laughs> the only thing worse than yeah. that is even a vac a dyson vacuum a cleaner vacuum, is yeah. not that bad compared to you're not a dentist let me show you an operatory that's your it doesn't even make uh-huh. sense that it's, unless she was a dentist too and let's say, you know, one of those couples who met in dental school, but they never, there's no allusion to her being a dentist or anything else. So. No, uh-uh. no, but you know, you think about it, like he does have that when he calls her, like you said, and he's like so behind after seeing one patient for two minutes. Um, he says, do you remember our first practice? I, I, so there I, was that's that. Right. And then there's the scene at the end where she is doing dentistry for him. So maybe she was a dentist. Maybe that was like a plot line that got cut out. Mm. Um, um, yeah, she would have, uh, if they would have had kids, it would make sense that she's been away right, you know, that she's for a couple yeah. of years. Or um, or if they said she's like an associate at Pacific or something like that, that would have made sense too. But yeah. she, uh, he, he is then, he's named the operatory. Do you, re- do you remember what the operatory was named? La Scala. La Scala. <laughs> I guess, which is, uh, it, Mike, help me out. It, it, it was a reference to Italian uh, opera. Yes. And it means the staircase in English, but yes, it, it refers to an Italian opera. And so uh, there's a lot of uh, opera singing in this movie because, you know, as Dennis with our diamond cufflinks, uh, all mm-hmm. listening to opera, not alternative rock or, or right. uh, uh, we're all like very, very high end and very, you know, uh, this is right in our wheelhouse. And so we that's how we would decorate uh, our operatory. And I think he describes it, Josh, as uh this is he like this is my vision. It's the the, this is the ultimate operatory, which we tried to sell at Sarek Thirty. You know, a hundred dollar chair is the ultimate operatory. But his version of it is um, it's the it's the combination of the best in what is it technology and tradition? What does he say? Yes, yeah, that's exactly what he says. Yeah, and um, the dental. I I grew up in one of the only houses in Southern California that had a basement, and my dad was a dentist. I think we probably talked about this, Josh, but my dad collected dental stuff and put it down in the basement. So he had an old dental chair in the basement, which uh, when my friends, we also had a pinball machine down there that we got for Christmas one year. So we go down in the basement and my friends would be super excited. We're like nine, 10, 11 years old. And they'd see the pinball machine. Then they see this old dental dentist chair over in the corner. They'd be like, what the hell is that? Is that how your father disciplines you? And then there was one of those old cabinets that just reeked of eugenol every time you open the doors. That chair looks like it was on loan from the ADA museum and dragged, dragged into there. It it had that the headrest part that had just like two little circles like the size of a baseball to like nestle the head. It wasn't really even a headrest per se. Um, there was literally no technology in that room whatsoever. But it, this is the marriage of technology and tradition. The technology, they were just missing that cone uh, X-ray head from back <laughs> back in the nineteen thirties. Uh, the interior uh-huh. looked like the worst. Italian restaurant that you've ever heard and reminded yes. you of the worst Billy yeah. Joel song you've ever heard about an Italian restaurant at the same time. And then to sedate her, his favorite thing is um, nitrous oxide. This guy's in love with nitrous oxide. He uses it for everything. He uses it for everything. And it is kind of a cure-all. I'll give him that. It's uh, uh, And um, every patient gets it. 
um, for whatever. I don't think the kid had it, but every other patient has it, even though. Yeah. Why wouldn't you give it? That's the one who needs it the most is the freaking kid. And on the kid's first appointment, who doesn't just going to say, I'm going to count your teeth. You know, whatever happened to that and just counting teeth. I'm, uh, and so he takes the nitrous mask. Well, first of all, he he grabs um, his wife and ties her down to the dental chair. Then puts the nitrous mask on her and then grabs over the um, uh, the portable nitrous thing. And this is another one of those goofs. There's no tanks on it, so she's she's breathing the air of the room and somehow is unconscious. It's like one of those within faith three healers. seconds. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a, one of those faith healers where they come to the front, they're speaking in tongues, they hit them on the head, and they, they touch them on the head, and they lose consciousness. Um, so, so the La Scala room, there's loud opera playing and it's obnoxious. And, um, I think you mentioned it earlier. There is a collection of instruments <laughs> that I don't know what from profession they're from, but it's, it's, it's not dentistry unless it's like turn, turn of the century stuff. Lance, did you recognize, you remember that set of instruments? I that? remember the setup and I, I, I took notes on it going, what the hell is that? <laughs> there were a lot of things that I didn't know what they were. Uh-huh. So, um, I noticed the nitrous was upside down and then right side yes. up. They, they did that multiple times. There are yeah. multiple scenes where in, in one shot, it's upside down. and one shot, it's right side up. Yeah. Um, the, the extraction tray setup is some kind of crazy forcep that, that looks like vice. It's, I, I, I don't think they're actually forceps. I think they're vice grips. Right. There's a mallet on the tray. There is. Like my dad used to seat crowns with. Yeah. You know, when cement was okay. so thick that you had to like anterior crowns. I remember seeing him with a wooden dowel, a stick. And, and tapping it into place. I will say this for Corbett, for the dentist in the movie, uh, can't remember, Fine, Finestone, right? Is that it, Finestone? Yeah, Alan Finestone. Um, total props to him. He's all about the forceps. You know, he knows elevators. No elevation. Periotomes, those are for pussies, man. He's just in there with the forceps, just cranking down on that PDL. Uh, he never, he can expand bone, you know, with those things and get those teeth out of there. Power to the forceps. He taught me a lesson. At some point, it looks like some orthopedic surgery instrument or like a, a huge periotome right. is on there. Um, and then it looks like there's a tooth key. Do you remember the tooth key from like dental history? No. The, the tooth key was something that was like that barber surgeons would use to extract teeth. If you just Google tooth key, um, you'll find uh, uh, this thing. And, and this was literally like like a new version of the tooth key was on that setup, on that tray setup. I did not notice that, but um, uh, I do like it. Doesn't I? Don't, I don't think the big reveal is in this scene, is it? Where we see what he did to her? Um, not really. You see him extract a couple of teeth, right. but it's not until the next scene that you see it. He did. There's an anesthetic syringe on the on the tray. I don't know why he wasn't planning on using anesthetic on her. So why would you put out an, an, a syringe if you're not going to numb her up if you're doing this for torture? I think he was going to use that reversal agent. What's the name of it? <laughs> like onset yeah, or whatever. No, 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 not the buffer oh, ones. What's yeah. the reversal one for people who have to go back to work and don't want to buy their tongue? Uh, like that's the, right. Oh, right. Yeah, I yeah. forgot. Yeah. None of us can think of it. Hey, great marketing yeah. job, company, whoever you are. <laughs> I think he was going to use that just in case she had any residual lidocaine in her system from... Uh, Mm. from before he just you know kind of like if you use a narcan or a verse or a verse did you google it you remember (laughs) yeah i did okay Okay. (laughs) um i do like though the big reveal as we see her face um he extracted all of her upper teeth but for some reason he must have decided he had an extra three or four hours to kill he prepped all her lower teeth 
I saw that he did prep. Yeah, he prepped with no, and they actually looked pretty like pretty nice prep. I was gonna say no temporaries, but the preps were a little over tapered. But otherwise, it was pretty conscientious dentistry, considering he's working on this person he hates. I mean, <laughs> if we saw preps that good at Glywell most of the time, we'd be pretty happy. So there's this murderous rage of pulling your teeth out, and he's like, "Well, we're not going to dinner." You know what? <laughs> I'm going to prep a lower arch. You know, uh-huh. I, I don't have to pack cord because I'm not going to impress or temporize. I'm going to prep switching burrs and making all these nice preps. That was insane, but that was uh, only. Did you a- notice what he used as a mouth prop? Uh, well, there was a couple different things used in the movie. Um, in, in this scene, he uses a spadopter. Yeah. Do you remember a spadopter? <laughs> I do. Yeah. That connects. It's supposed to connect to your like uh, saliva ejector. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and it goes under, it goes under, yes. it's for the mandibular and it goes under the chin and then you crank it down. But here it was being used to crank her mouth open. Uh-huh. Nobody here has seen a bite block in this movie, <laughs> which got me trying to remember what, when were bite blocks invented? It reminds me one of the most accurate parts of this movie, at least dentally, I think, is that you never see a, a rubber dam used the whole time. And that pretty, <laughs> and that pretty much reflects every dental office I've been in. That's the one part they got right. At no point is there a rubber dam being broken up. Uh, next scene that I really enjoyed was the conflict with Jessica, the dental assistant. Oh. You guys remember this scene? Well, yeah. Do you know that actress's name? Because I Googled her because I knew I'd seen her in more stuff. Um, she's – go ahead, Lance, if you have it off Not, the top of your head. Just that she's in some kind of wonderful as the best friend. Yeah, but that's, I don't, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Shane or Sean or something like that. Her name in the movie, or, or her, she's Jessica, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Molly Hagen is her Molly name. Molly Hagen, that's right. So she's probably the th- one. She's from Minnesota. Two. She's the fourth most famous uh, actress in the movie. She was in Election. She was in Sully. Um, you said she was in what? She was in... Some uh, kind of wonderful. Some kind of wonderful. What year was that? 87? Seven, yeah, 87, 88. Lindsay just rewatched that and recognized her. She's in some more modern stuff too. She actually works. Yeah, she she works a lot. How is she the fourth most? Would you say she's the fourth most? I know who the first is. Yeah, Corbin, the IRS guy. Her and then the IRS guy. The IRS guy was from Terminator. He was he was a pretty mm-hmm. important part from Terminator One and Terminator Two. But you're missing the biggest star from the whole movie. Well, we have a we have a, we'll we'll get to that in just a second. Oh, we can't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in just a second. But, so yeah, she's the third or fourth. Okay. I would say the, um, the IRS guy does a lot of heavy lifting in this movie there. Yeah. So we'll get to him in, in a second. He's amazing. Yeah, he's yeah, and, and um, those of us, you know, watch out for scams and everything. The, the IRS doesn't call. <laughs> they I was they thinking mail that. letters. Yeah. I was thinking that because that's like now a robo call thing. Yeah. Like the IRS calling if, if you're you. getting an IRS call, you know, right. it's a scam. So don't uh, don't give your ID out. So but you, you know what they do do a lot of is bartering. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Dentistry. Well, he's not at the gardener. I mean, they really. Right. Th- this guy is going to barter back taxes uh-huh. for dentistry. Yeah. And Josh, you mentioned earlier, he walks in the laser welding uh, <laughs> reference. Those aren't veneers. He puts them in a dappin dish, you know, because they're just like looking around the room, going. They look like posterior crowns. He wasn't. I'm was trying to veneers. figure out what they were. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't missing any veneers. But here he's threatening this guy, threatening to take him. To, it's so insane yeah. that he's threatening this guy yelling out i'm gonna take you down i'm gonna finish you or you can work in my mouth for me how could that yeah. go wrong it's like yeah. well what, what i was curious was this movie is so bad clearly they didn't have a dental consultant but did the person who wrote the script ever go to the dentist <laughs> has he been in one because none of this none of it makes, makes any sense. sense no um the irs agent do you remember the the scene it's it's when he's trying to get back he he bribes the girl that's trying to get her braces off. Yes. To go ahead of her. Yes. And he slips her twenty bucks. Twenty bucks, right? 
<laughs> do you need the bribe or are you given bribes? Which one is right. it? He greases their palm right. uh, and, and, and is, is as, uh, as sort of swarthy as you can possibly get. That scene with the RS agent is rough. Um, because he's asking about how hot his wife is, uh, which is well, not a- I've never asked any of my uh, people who have rendered medical care to me like, hey, is your wife a hot piece or what? Yeah. And he ge- he gives the little girl, um, the girl who's uh, getting her braces off. By the way, good to see Corbin Burnson does comprehensive orthodontics. Full ortho. Full ortho. <laughs> and he's going to be taking brackets and bands off uh, uh, today. And um, he gives her the 20 and she's like, I can't take this. Now in The Sopranos, Tony closes your hand and say, don't insult me, you know, and, but not this guy. He takes it back and tries <laughs> to teach back. her a life lesson about always take the money. Uh, and it's oh, like, yeah. oh, that's, that's a really good, really good uh, life lesson. And um, when he's talking about, you know, how hot the wife is, that's when he throws out that line, Brooke, such a waspy name. Such again, a waspy again name. he's going to insult his wife as he's getting ready to work on. And then he uh-huh. says, oh, those uh, shiks abroads. They really know how to do the deed. That that is definitely in my favorite line. Did you Google that? I, I mean, I know what shiksa means. Oh, how do you know what that means? I believe it was in an episode of Seinfeld. Elaine was referred to oh, as shiksa. Okay, a Gentile girl who's attracted a, who's dating like a Jewish man. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, sure. I feel like Rich so, Maddow should have used that term with me at some point up to the, <laughs> our life. That definitely yeah. adds adds credence to the fact that Corbin Burnson is supposed to be Jewish in this movie. Exactly. Yeah. If the name didn't do it, the Shiksa reference uh-huh. will. Yeah. What and what about his shoes? Does it did his shoes help you think that he was Jewish? Did you see his shoes? Were they Reebok they, pumps? They showed the, no, they showed them multiple times. They are black loafers, but with the white leather like on the toe. Oh. Yeah. They show them. They show them multiple times. They're tassel loafers. Tassels, yeah. Black tassel loafers with white leather. That is a fourth watching detail right there. When, <laughs> yes. when I asked earlier what it was that you learned by watching it a second, third, and fourth time, that is, there it is. apparently it. There it is. Yeah, that's that's one of them actually. Um, so the IRS scene, he uh, cranks him up on nitrous like everybody else, right? Yeah, of course. Um, and then he he grabs a uh, he grabs an, an articulator, just like we would call it a slapper articulator. What's the word for that articulator? That's not like a semi-adjustable articulator. Barn door hinge. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't quite a vertex, yeah. but it was far from a dangerous like a hinge articulator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just and somehow he, crammed into his mouth. <laughs> yes. As as a as a bite block right. again, it, it's it's using a, a, a something else besides a bite block for this. Now, if we uh, if it, we were making this movie, Josh and Lance, we would have crammed the articulator in his mouth, and then just at the end, just for the detail for the dentist watching, we would open and drop the incisor or pin down <laughs> the, the rest of the way, just like as a detail thing, and maybe set the bed at the you know, the, the condylar mm-hmm. inclination at the same time. Right. Yeah. Oh, and and that yeah, the big go back shift, to the forget about that. <laughs> Uh, and then we get into the point that's that's really I don't Mike's your favorite line. It, it's it's in my top lines where he just starts cutting on the guy's mouth. Uh, and he let me see if I can find where I have it written down. Um, he says he screams, get your tongue out of the way. Get it out of the way. God damn it. Which is such like something every single person listening to this and watching this. Oh, yeah. Has had that We're moment every day. Yeah, I, I every was day. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Den- Dennis Power, you've never not thought that. I've always wanted to put a suture in the tongue and put a fishing weight hanging out the other side. I mean, it's just uh, and you see people who come in and it's like, you know, you just don't you see that that huge tongue and that buckle fat pad that's more like a buckle fat mattress. And you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to get back to this second molar back there. So that that makes you think, Lance, for the first time that he consulted with the dentist. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe that part. It's between that part and the scene that we skipped over, which was the scene where he has the conflict with the dental assistant, where he tells her that she's not the doctor because she she confronts him about um, the burr that he used on his neighbor Paige's. Uh, was it Paige or uh, yeah, what was her I think, name? I think you're right. Patty. No, Pat. Whatever. <laughs> what key name? Hon- was honestly, that? I'm not sure it's important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paula. The burr that she used on, on, or that he used on Paula's tooth, that was Mike texted me this earlier. Why are you using a donut burr? Right. You destroyed that woman's tooth. Right. Um, we need to invent a donut burr. I think we do. I think there kind of is like a flattened, you know, like a disc, yeah, like it, a diamond. It, but yeah, but it, but it doesn't look like the donut burr. You know, there was another burr. I don't remember it was this scene, but it was kind of like round that it had came to a point. The, the, I, yes. I think most of these things were like from Home Depot, from the woodworking aisle or something like that. When you look at these, but it wasn't the shape of the burr he was using. It was, you know, the fact that he's just leaning <laughs> onto it. And, and the tooth was like softer than any ivory yeah, tooth it, I've ever seen. I don't know what yeah. styrofoam or what they use to make the tooth in the model, but uh Good, good call on her part. That um, that I'm glad. I'm just glad they didn't say like reverse preparation or bring up any of those <laughs> death, death cutting burrs, just like uh, in passing. But for her to question uh, that specifically, it was the burr he was using that co- was causing the problems was just so great. She had a. She's the one who, uh, after the kid runs out, and something else happens. She's the one who's standing out in the hallway between the operatories and casually says. To the uh, to the other assistant about the patients, they're dropping like flies. Which was you mentioned that line earlier. Not what you want. It's really not what you want. It's not what you want to be said in your dental. It office. was it was so so great. And she was very conscientious, you know. As she has another great line. One of my favorite movies of the line where um, he um, after uh, we're getting into a, a couple scenes that we haven't talked about. But when April Rains is in there and he starts to hallucinate that um, the female patient is his wife. Which gives him. There's a lot of fingering in this movie that, frankly, I'm not comfortable with. Uh, a lot of it's sucking on fingers, but this one we're going to get into that. Okay. We are absolutely going to. This get one's into that. the more literal definition of that. So he takes her panty hose most of the way off, and and then when he starts getting caught, he takes it the rest of the way off, where somehow she doesn't know what's happening, and he sticks them under like a, a drawer in the operatory. And then when his assistant comes back in, somehow they move two feet out from under where he <laughs> they had an earthquake or something. And she pockets him as proof, you know, of what he did. And later when she's yelling at him about his crimes, uh, he's saying that, you know, he's he's yelling back about he did the right thing. And she pulls him out. And she's all like, you had to remove these to fill a cavity. <laughs> and I knew that was another self-satisfied moment. The double entendre yes, of filling, so a cavity, filling a cavity where you knew the writer was really um, happy. He about was proud that. of himself. Yeah. And then she starts threatening him with the lidocaine syringe. That's her weapon <laughs> of choice. Yes. She picks well, up. But she threatens it before that. She says, I'm going to report you to the, quote, dental association. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to call the ADA. I'm going to be put on hold. <laughs> I'm going to wait for two weeks for someone to call me back. One of the three employees working there. And then I'm going to lodge a complaint with them. But yeah, so he threatens that. And then, but it's funny when she has the lidocaine syringe in her hand, all I kept thinking was, Oh God, I hadn't seen the movie in literally decades. I thought she was going to hit him in the arm. And it's going to be like that Carol Burnett, Tim Conway <laughs> yes. thing where we were going to yeah. break into slapstick. But th- <laughs> thankfully we don't, it doesn't veer into that at least. So he then uses the pantyhose of April Reigns to choke out his assistant, right. which again, another very cathartic moment for most dentists here is to, there's been a point where we've all wanted to choke an assistant from time to time. 
And this guy got to do it. And he, he did it all the way. Uh, and then he stored her body. Did, did you guys notice where he stored her body? Yeah, the nitrous no. tanks. The nitrous cloud. Yeah, exactly. Which, I, do you have a centralized nitrous plumbing or do you not? Because he's got nitrous carts all over the office. Right. But also this huge nitrous closet that has like four of those huge tanks. Right. And those uh, huge like central nitrous tanks. I, I don't know what's going on, but in this movie, uh, nitrous oxide has the potency of propofol. Like he puts, yes. he puts this mask on somebody and people are like, most of the time say, I don't feel it yet. And it'll only go to <laughs> for 20 minutes. They're like, yeah, that. I don't feel, I don't feel anything in his office. It, it just knocks you the F out. I mean, they're almost immediately. <laughs> and that's another, one of my favorite special effects in this movie is anytime he turns it up, it goes from no sound to like a jet engine, you know, like, like there's this <laughs> rush of nitrous being forced down into the patient's lungs, but it's amazing just how effective nitrous is in his office. I mean, it's beyond conscious sedation. He can do anything he wants to these people just by turning on that nitrous. The last scene that's in the, in the, uh, in the most unwatchable scene for me uh, is the scene where Karen, the hygienist, the Asian hygienist um, comes and walks in on the IRS agent being tortured. Uh, and then, and then, uh, Dr. Feinstein has to dispose of her bot or he has to dispose of her. She's seen too much now at this point. Did you also notice that the hygienist Karen is the only one that called him Alan the whole time? Yeah. He, well, he got pissed off when anybody didn't call him doctor. And meanwhile, right. his assistant just refers to him as Alan. That had to be intentional. Yeah, for sure. And she, so he kills her by, uh, another actually pretty decent effect, uh, visual effect is he injects air into her carotid artery uh, and, and she just uh, basically immediately dies within like 20 seconds. But you could actually see the air bubble going up her neck. Did you guys notice that? Did or notice. was that a four rewatching? Uh, no, uh, no. Uh, that was obvious. That that was obvious. And for a profession that misses blocks 20% of the time, the, yeah. the fact that this guy for the first time could try to find the carotid artery and eject, you know, an air bubble the size. Of, it looked like a mouse going through a snake is what it looked like. I mean, it was – doesn't – you would think air – how does air have this much, you know, body to it where this huge, like, thing is just going up? And then that's she it, just goes it. into, like, the most – um, yeah, stereotypical fake epileptic fit that you've ever. Seen. Yeah, so it's it's the it's the world's worst uh, air embolism yeah. that's ever been ever been uh, witnessed. Um, so that's the and that's when he kills his second team member of the day, which again, I mean, you know, we've all fantasized Hashtag about goals <laughs> injecting an air bubble into our hygienist carotid artery. Uh-huh. 